um, corn maze this afternoon. They're having their activities and all that stuff. That's really cool. What a blessing we have as a church to be able to um, invest in these kids, to show them faith, to encourage them to live out their faith, and to encourage them to invite and bring their friends along so that they can learn more about Jesus as well. And so I'm glad you're here today. Um, This week is week four of our series of Being the Church Together. And we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be disciples of Jesus, and, and particularly what does that mean here at Waterway Church? We don't pretend that we have the corner on doing church right. There are lots of great churches in our town, in our area, and in our world. Lots of people who are serving Jesus Christ. But as many of you know in this room, lots of churches that do things differently. They work that out differently. They interact with each other differently. And that's fine, but you can't do all of those things within the same group, right? So I just want to talk a little bit about what we do and why we do it. But before I get into that any further, I do have a quick commercial. On Friday night, there is a banquet at Mount Vernon Christian Church. It is a fundraiser church for Onesimus Prison Ministries. Onesimus is one of the ministries that we support here at Waterway Church with our monthly giving. Um, But on Friday night at 6 o'clock, that's this week, the 28th, uh, there's a banquet there. Raise your hand if you've been at that banquet before. I think there's there's a couple of us. Raise your hand if you're planning on going on Friday night, too. I've had some people ask me, how many are coming from Waterway? I said, I have no idea. All right. Well, I I know that there's at least one of us who will be there, and so I'll report that. But if any of you you would like to go on Friday night, Mount Vernon, I know it's far, far away. It's, It's up across the reservoir. It's in that other county to our west. Scary over there. But if any of you would like to go over to Mount Vernon on Friday night, there's no charge. It's a great meal, but you'll get to hear about what Onesimus Prison Ministry is doing, ministering to the inmates, both the men and the women at the Chester County Prison. And, uh, and then there's an opportunity to support them in prayer and in finances if you'd like to. So please uh, don't hesitate to talk to me about that this week if you'd like to. All right. So now, uh, having thought about that, here is something else I've been thinking about this week. I have been fascinated by sports fans in our area. It's a pretty good time. Oh, Blake, yeah, Blake is in. Or maybe Blake's just fascinated by sports fans too. It's a pretty good time to be a sports fan living in this part of the world, right? The Eagles are pretty good. At least the record says that they are. The Phillies are doing pretty well. Did anybody stay up for the whole game last night? I mean, if you went to bed early, you probably missed something, right? It was, and it's fun and it's exciting to watch, to watch our local teams do well. Now, I didn't grow up here. I grew up, as I said, in that in that dark and dangerous world across the county line. I grew up in Lancaster County. <laughs> All right, we, we got Lancaster in the house too, right? But as I was growing up as a little boy and kind of figuring out, you know, my, my, my dad and mom didn't like root real hard for anybody. And so I was at that time, especially coming through third, fourth, fifth grade, when boys start to talk more about those things, I was deciding which teams I liked, who I was going to support. And where I grew up, over near Quarryville, it was pretty evenly divided. Some people liked the Phillies and some people liked the Orioles. That, and, and in my era, it largely came down to, do you like Mike Schmidt or do you like Cal Ripken Jr.? Right? This is, Robert said, old heads. I might be one of those. But I can remember, like, even the boys at school, when they were, you know, it was pretty evenly divided. Now, here it seems to be a little bit more Philadelphia, but a lot happens when you come across that county line. Also growing up, um, kids had to decide if they were Eagles fans or Steelers fans. 
I know there are a few Steelers fans here, but predominantly this is an Eagles part of the country. The Ravens didn't exist when I was in elementary school, and the Colts were gone. So it was, it was Philadelphia or Pittsburgh. Now, we all cheered for Penn State. That was kind of the one thing that we all had in common. But it was interesting just to watch how all that worked out, especially, like I said, one of the things that I saw was the boys at school, how they dressed, the sweatshirts or the hats or, or who it was that they cheered for and got excited about, because these things meant a lot to boys at school. Well, when I, was, when I was getting ready to go to college, I had made my decisions about who I liked, but I was getting ready to go to Grove City, which is in the western part of Pennsylvania, and I was, frankly, I, I'm a little bit of a contrarian. I didn't, when I, I didn't want to have Eagles stuff, and I didn't want to have Steelers stuff, or Orioles stuff, or Philly stuff. That, I wanted to do something totally different. So before I went to college, and, and I didn't realize what I was doing, but I went to Park City. Do any of you remember Park City? You used to be able to go there and shop for things, right? And I went to the hat store, and I bought a hat for the Cleveland baseball team. They were the Indians at that point, because nobody around here cheered for them. And I thought it was a neat hat, and I thought it'd be something different. So I kind of, I got it worked in. It was a fitted hat. It was, it was lovely. I loved that thing. But then when I went to college at Grove City, a couple months later, I realized that I was right in the middle of the same kind of arguments that I was before. But at Grove City, you're either a Pittsburgh fan or a Cleveland fan. It's either the Browns or the Steelers. It's either at that time the Pirates or the Indians. And so I didn't realize this until one day I, I, I had my hat on. I was getting ready to go to lunch and I was walking out and this group of guys, these are college guys, like smart guys, right? I'm walking and I had my Cleveland hat on, not thinking about anything. And this one guy came over and he said, yeah, we are the best, aren't we? And I looked at him, I said, what are you talking? I didn't know this guy. I had never met him. I was a brand new college freshman. And he said, your hat, you're a Cleveland fan. I said, <laughs> I said no, I just like the hat. But one of the things that I learned in college about, about those sports fans in that part of the world at that time that was different than what I grew up with was they all talked about their teams as we. Now, that might have happened here growing up. I just didn't notice it. And I know, of course, Penn State, the big cheer is, we are Penn State. So, right, there's a couple of that, that here. Thank you. Anthony, my brother, grew up in the same house. I guess I must have seen different things than he But I wasn't aware of that cheer, frankly, until a number of years ago. Oh, was it Ryan? <laughs> I thought it was Anthony, but it was, it was Penn State alumni, Ryan King. Oh, guys. Sorry, if any of you in the back or if you're new here and, and this is like over your head, come talk to me and I'll tell you about some of the inside jokes that are flopping around right here in the fourth and fifth row. But it was really interesting to me when I, and for the first time in my life, I heard people talking about their sports teams as in what we're going to do. We're going to win today. We're, we're going to run for 125 yards. And I'm looking at this guy saying, you are? You're a, you're a short, slow, tiny kid at Grove City College. You're going to, and, and, and that, like, it got really personal, right? And we've seen this in sports today. It's a shame because it's ridiculous. Cheer for your team and have fun. But it's amazing the idolatry that creeps into all this. And I'm being careful not to jump into that right now because it's easy to do that even as I speak to you at a time when I'm supposed to be giving a sermon. But there was a passion that I noticed in college at that time in that place that I had just never seen before. I'd never been ex exposed to before. There was an identity that people didn't just cheer for a team. People felt like they were the team. And when, when their team won, they said, we won, we're the best. And I'm saying, you didn't have anything to do with it, but we won. 
And, and really, what was really strange and sad was that when people's teams lost, they took it personally. Like as if they lost, as if a part of their life was now compromised. The hats, the jerseys, stopping everything when a game came on, talking trash to the others. I, was, I had never been exposed to that kind of passion before. Some people say that's wonderful to have that kind of a passionate fan base. I would suggest that probably those of you who are hardcore Philadelphia fans, you've seen this too. But it's really interesting how we identify ourselves, isn't it? I mean, who are we? When it gets, when it gets down to it, who are we who do you identify with? What teams, what groups, what, what kind of organizations do you consider yourself to be a part of? And I want to talk about this today because I think the places where we apply we say a lot about what we're really doing in our lives and say a lot about how we think of the Lord and our life with him. And so that's what I want to unpack with you today, okay? Now, Robert read 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 10 for devotions. He reminded us that we get our identity in the gospel, right? This is the message we've heard from God and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Verse 6 said, if we claim, underline the word claim in your Bible, if we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. In other words, if we say that our identity is in God, but our walk looks different than that, we're liars, and verse 7 said that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all of our sin. Robert challenged us. This scripture challenges us to have our walk match our talk. But what I should have done earlier this week and earlier this month when I was planning for devotions, I should have had Robert read the first four verses of John, 1 John 1 as well. Here's what they say. And, and I'm kind of off the page right now, so I'm not sure if, the, if our, our wonderful folks in the back can find 1 John 1.1 or not. But those of you that have Bibles, open your Bibles. Those of you that are following along with devices, follow along your device. 1 John 1.1. Here is how John begins his letter. He said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. And so here, John opens 1 John with this, this letter to the churches of the world. John isn't just talking about some rumor. John isn't, oh, guys in the back, you rock the most. We are really doing a great job with presentation today. Because we have a great team. I have nothing to do with it. But, you know, isn't this the message today? No. So here in 1 John 1, 1, John says, that which was from the beginning, there's a lot being said here in one verse. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and which our hands have touched, this we proclaim. John is not talking about a rumor. He's not even just talking about some fact that he read in a book or heard from a pastor. John is saying that life appeared and he has seen it touched it, heard it. Here's verse two. The life appeared, we have seen it, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. John says, I am telling you about Jesus. I've seen him, I've heard him, I've talked to him, I've touched him, and I'm telling you about him now. Why? Look at verse three. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. 
And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. So John is the writer of this, but he's, he's one of the apostles. He's one of the people who has been following the Lord for a long time. He is one who, who is in such partnership with God and who is so aligned with Jesus Christ and filled by the Holy Spirit. But here is John saying, I have seen this, not just I, but we have seen Jesus. We've heard him. We've looked at him. Our hands have touched him. He appeared. We saw him and we testified to it. And we are proclaiming to you that there is eternal life in Jesus Christ. This is the message in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And here in verse 4, he says, we write this to make our joy complete. In other words, John says, it's not just enough for me to know this. It's not just enough for me to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not just enough for me to believe and to have had all of these experiences. John said, for my joy to be complete, I want you to be a part of this too. Now, Americans in 2022, this is a hard truth for us to grasp sometimes because so many of us, and I don't care what age you are sitting in this room right now, so many of us have been brought up and steeped in this idea of just individualism. We don't live collectively in quite the same way that John and his friends did. We don't live collectively in quite the same way that even generations before us did. There are a lot of us who, because, because of different economic realities, because of different work realities, because, because we often tend to move away from our families at younger times in life than we did before, there are a lot of us who do a lot of life by ourselves. Or if not by ourselves, maybe just a, a, a husband and a wife and some kids in a nuclear family, and, and we're not very well plugged in. Now, a lot of you have found fellowship here, haven't you? But many of us really, we think, we think in terms of me. We think in terms of I. And, and we need to think individually. We need to think about ourselves, but not only about ourselves, because we also are part of something. And this is what John is saying here. He's saying, let my joy be complete. I need to share this with you. We want you to be part of this fellowship with the Father and with Jesus Christ. Life has appeared. And it's not complete. It's not enough that I know it. I want you to know it. Do you see what John is saying here? Do you see how important this is? And do you see how it might apply to us today? I hope that you are saved. And I'm doing everything I can do, saying everything I can say and living every way that I can try to live so that you can see that Jesus Christ was sent from God. And with his blood, he paid for our sins. He hung on the cross and died and then he showed his power by rising from the grave, coming back to life, even though he was dead, by a power that only could be from God. And then Jesus said, all who believe in me, I'll, I'll give you eternal life. And we see that he has power to give life. He says, you believe in me? I'll give you eternal life. This is the promise that comes from God. I hope you know that. And so many of you, and I've heard you proclaim it. I've seen you acted out in baptism and I see you living it. This is what we do together. But remember, it's not enough just for you to believe. What we want or what we should want, like John indicates, is for our joy to be complete. That means that we share with others who are not here yet. And it's funny, when we start talking about churches and growth, we can go to some weird places with that, right? We can fall into the trap of thinking that, well, the most important thing about gathering is how many people are here? What's the number? Did we grow? Are there more percent than there were last time? Are there more people here present? And, and we can get into all kinds of stuff like that that can get shallow. But the reality is, is that 
the body of Christ should be growing. It should be growing. We, we know that there are many who are falling away, but, but our witness should have some fruit to it. We should be proclaiming that which we have seen and heard so that others may have fellowship with us. We're working at this. We're seeing good things happen. But church, are you thinking about this way all the time? Because this is what we should be thinking about. Now, I have, uh, I have not had the privilege of looking at and hearing and being touched by Jesus in the same way that John and those early disciples did. And, and I know that you haven't either. Now, I believe that I've heard God's voice in my life. Can any of you say amen that you've heard from God? Sure. And I believe that I have witnessed God at work. So many things I get to see of God at work. Have you seen this too in your life? Amen. And I've had moments where I held someone or I hugged someone or I shook someone's hand where it felt like there was a godly spark between us. Any of you ever, any of you ever have that kind of an experience with another person that was just like, wow, there is something really good and holy happening here right now. I've had those experiences like many of you have had. I've been overcome with God's presence. And because of these experiences I've had with God and, and because of the way they've affected me and because of the way that God has worked in me, I have chosen to be his disciple. I am his. He leads. I follow. And I'm here telling you this today because there is a whole crowd of disciples who meet in Oxford who called me in 2003 to be their pastor, to be your pastor. This crowd here, once identified as Media Mennonite Church, now called Waterway Church, invited me to serve as a leader. And Melanie and I felt like, we, felt like this was the place for us because of what we could see in the lives of the people of this church. Certainly, God was calling us here. We had some big prayer moments that confirmed that for us. But we decided to do life here, to be part of this church and this community, because it seemed like people walked the talk. I interviewed at churches before, and I have been, I have been involved in churches since in, in one capacity or another where they can talk the talk. Oh, we love Jesus. Oh, we, we are all about loving each other, and we are about reaching out to our community. But, but when you start to see the walk, you find out, I don't think these people love anyone other than themselves and their history. I'm not sure how well these people are loving each other at all. And it certainly seems like they hate themselves. I've seen this in some places where I wish I didn't see it. But we decided to do life here, Melanie and I, to be part of this church because it seemed like people walked the talk. They didn't just claim to know Jesus. They seemed to know Jesus and lived like it. We wanted to be part of a church like that. I'm excited to still be part of a church like that. To this day, we're living out what John wrote in 1 John 1. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father, with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now, Media Mennonite Church, now known as Waterway Church, by my observation, has always been committed to both talking about God and living life with God. Not all of us, not all the time. We're not a perfect group. What do we know? We know from 1 John 1, 5, 6, and 7 that Robert read for us that we all have sin that has been part of our lives. We've been forgiven by Jesus Christ. We're, we haven't been perfect, and we will not be perfect on this earth. It's not a perfect church here, not a perfect fellowship. This is a fellowship of normal people, who were once fully identified as sinners. But this is a fellowship of people who have had an experience with God. How many of you have heard someone from this church sit up here on the stage and go through a testimony interview and, and you can hear that God is at work? Praise the Lord. We're going to keep working on that because we need to hear those stories. 
We are a group of people who have had an experience with God. We are people who have been saved by our faith in Jesus Christ, not by anything else, not by our history, not because our name is on some membership list, not because we happen to show up on most all the Sunday mornings. No, we are saved by Jesus Christ if we are saved at all. But this is a fellowship of people who are working together to live out the life that Jesus said we should live. Why? Because of what John wrote. Our fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, compels us. We want, we want to, to share. John wrote, and we live out, the fellowship of Jesus Christ to make our joy complete. Most of us here aren't writers, but we're trying to live in such a way that people can read our lives and see Jesus there. Do you get what I'm saying? Do you see what God is is challenging us to do? God is calling us to be the kind of people that are not just thinking about our own salvation, though that's essential. We are also sharing our faith with others. This is the kind of group we ought to be. This is the kind of church we ought to be. Now, it was interesting. Last week, I had a, a person talk to me in the lobby. I got to have a great conversation with a person who hadn't been here before. And they said, let me ask you a question. I said, go ahead, anything. And they said, on the sign out front, it says this is a, an evangelical Mennonite congregation. They said, what do those words mean? And I knew that because of the conversation that we had had up to that moment, I knew there's this person who, who understands the Lord, who understands a bit about how churches work, even though they had never been at our particular fellowship. And so they asked, they said, what do the words in that subtitle mean? What's it mean to be an evangelical Mennonite congregation? And I told them, I said, well, we are evangelical because we are about the good news. If you go back to the biblical Greek, evangel or, or euangelion, this is this word that meant the good news of Jesus Christ. So if John was out talking about the good news and he was speaking in Greek, he would say, I'm bringing you the euangelion, which is kind of roughly translated into evangelism today. So evangelism should be, it should be understood as, and I guess I'm talking about a lowercase e, evangel, evangelical, evangelism. This is about sharing the good news of Jesus and his salvation. Now, Evangelical is not a word that should define how we vote. Political action does not, should not, and will not be what defines us. We don't all identify as evangelicals the same way that the press or some Americans think about it, but we are evangelical in that we are consumed by the good news of Jesus and his salvation. We have to tell people about it to make our joy complete. It doesn't feel right when we keep it to ourselves, and so the word evangelical is in our name. And then... My friend who I was talking to in the lobby was very interested about what does this Mennonite thing mean? Didn't know when I came if I'd see people in buggies or, or capes. That was, that was what, you know, and, and we understand that, right? I said, well, Mennonite is in our name because it points to a particular theology, a way of understanding God and the Bible and living that out. And this can be a challenge. Any theology is a challenge to work out. But it's a challenge among Mennonites. At, at this moment, according to, the, uh, according to the interwebs, there are 2.13 million people in the world who identify as Mennonites. So worldwide, there are just over 2 million people who in 2022 say they're Mennonites. About 500,000 of them live in the United States. So just under a quarter of all people who say they're Mennonites live in the United States. What that means is that three quarters of them live elsewhere. And that leads to big differences in how our faith gets worked out. But among those 2 million Mennonites, there are over 100 different denominations of us with different flavors, different emphases. All Mennonites are not the same, right? Even, it is fascinating. Even if you did a study of, of all the different Mennonite churches within a 20-mile radius of here, 
In other words, all the places you could be at before lunchtime, if you left now, you could see a lot of different kinds of expressions of faith among folks who call themselves Mennonites. There are lots of reasons for that. And if you'd like to learn more about that, come to one of our membership classes. And I can describe to you how we got to have so many different kinds of folks who call themselves Mennonites. But all Mennonites are not the same. One of the cores, or a couple of the cores that do hold us together, Mennonites believe, at least historically, and most Mennonite denominations today, believe that Jesus is our example for living, that he has called us to live lives of peace. That means peace with God through salvation by the blood of Jesus Christ, and peace with other humans, other men and women, through service, humility, and working for life in all situations. This is some of the core belief that unites Mennonites. And so we are an evangelical group telling people about Jesus. We are Mennonite in the way that we think about how we live out Jesus. And because we are a group who lives this out together, who works cooperatively, tries to be organized in our work, we are an evangelical Mennonite congregation. What's it mean to be a congregation? It means we gather together, we work out our faith together, we worship God together, and we proclaim our faith out loud by being baptized because Jesus was baptized told his disciples to baptize everyone who decided to follow him. This is who we are. We are a group of Christians known as Waterway Church, an evangelical Mennonite congregation. So what does this look like as we try to live it out for God? Do we, do we walk around the lobby and just cheer for each other when we see that, oh, you're on my team too, go Lorraine! Like, is, is that what it is? Is it, talk, is it walking around town and saying, well, we have the best team. You should see what we all did this morning in worship. We played the best songs and we sang the loudest and we all said the best prayers and we preached the best sermons. Is that how, is that how this gets worked out? Because we're all part of it, we just, we just are proud of it? Is this a pride thing? Is this a marketing thing? What does it look like as we act out our lives for God? Well, here in this last chunk of the sermon. I want to share with you a couple of things that have been happening kind of maybe, I guess, behind the doors as, as our staff and as our elders and as our leadership team have been thinking together about how we function as a group and how we, how we be the kind of people who are not just content being disciples, but making sure that we are disciples who create other disciples. This is how we're thinking about it. And I want to, I want to turn you to Acts chapter 6. Okay, we're going to end our service this morning with the book of Acts, chapter 6, the first seven verses. This is a scripture that's going to be familiar to many of you. But there's a story about when the early church, around 2,000 years ago, when the early church was growing. At this point, Jesus had died on the cross and risen from the grave and ascended into heaven a number of weeks or months before this. So very recently, it would have been in the memory of a lot of people at this point about what happened to Jesus. And there were, there were people in this crowd among this church who knew Jesus. They had, as John said, they had touched him. They had heard him. They had shaken his hand. They had hugged him. They had, they had seen him. But here the church is growing. It says in Acts chapter six, verse one, in those days, and if you want a little bit more context, go ahead today, go home and read Acts chapters 1 through 5. Outstanding, amazing stuff about what happens when people are absolutely sold out for Jesus. But here in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, what are disciples? These are people who believe in Jesus Christ, have been saved by Jesus Christ, and are now living their lives for him. So we could say Christians if we want to. We find out 
that the word, if you, if you read a little bit more in Acts, you'll find out that people aren't being called Christians yet, but pretty soon, in a place called Antioch, the disciples began to be called Christians. But here, in the days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, you, you can, if Hellenistic is difficult for you to, to write down, you can just write down the word Greek. These were people who had Greek background. They spoke the Greek language. They lived largely in Greece, and they were affected by Greek culture. Any of you, when you were in school, have to study anything about the Greek culture and the Parthenon and Athens and all that stuff? Well, Hellenistic Jews, these are people who, by religion, they were Jewish, but by all their culture, they were Hellenistic or, or Greek, much like we might, we might be American Christians, right? We are Christians by our religion, but we are American because we live here and we are affected by its culture, okay? So in those days, the number of disciples was increasing. The Hellenistic Jews among the disciples complained about the Hebraic, I'm sorry, complained against the Hebraic Jews. These are those who were Jewish. They were of the blood of Abraham. Not only did they believe in Jesus Christ, not only did they have a Jewish background, but they had a Jewish blood. They weren't converts. These were people who were kind of born into the faith, right? How many of you here are, uh, we might say you are, you are Mennonite Christians because you were born into it. You've made decisions since then, but you were born into a Mennonite home and you were always, kind of, right? You can kind of see what's going on here. So the, the Greek Jews complained against the Hebrew Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So what we see here in the book of Acts is that these disciples together, they're already sharing their stuff. They're already sharing food. They're looking out for each other. Those who have are looking out for those who have not. So there's a lot of community happening here, right? That's good stuff, really good stuff. But it was a challenge because those who were Greeks and all of these Greeks, these would have all been converts. None of these people would have been... Um, very few of these people would have been Jews or, or really plugged into things, you know, back in the times of King David, because Greece didn't exist then. But these people, because of their culture, they felt like they were outsiders. They complained against the Hebrew Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So what did the 12, these are the 12 apostles. These are ones who had been with Jesus. These are the ones who have been close for a number of years. Well, at least 11 of them. There's a new one who's brought in. Again, read the first chunk of the book of Acts. But the 12 apostles who were really running things, who had been commissioned by God to be in charge of stuff, the 12, what's it say in verse 2? They gathered all the disciples together. They got the whole group together, not just the Hebrew Jews, not just the Greek Jews. They got them all together and said, guys, it wouldn't be right for us. And by us, they're talking about the 12 apostles. It wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so here, these 12 apostles, they've been called the 12 disciples before, but these 12 apostles, they've been kind of running the whole group. They are the organizational backbone. And they said, we know, we hear your complaints. We understand we can't keep up. Why? Because the group is growing. There's a lot. To, any of you, are any of you involved in a business that's growing quickly? Or have you been? Have you seen that it gets more difficult as you add employees, as you add more markets, as you make more money? It seems like it should be easier when you make more money, right? Have any of you ever noticed that the complexity grows? 
and you need to have really great people in place. These, these guys are just saying, folks, we get it. We, we, we don't have enough time to do all this well. And so what do they say? They say it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God. That's what God had specifically called those 12 apostles to, to wait on tables. They don't say that waiting on tables is bad. They don't say, well, we're just not going to wait on tables anymore. I guess nobody's getting any food. No, they don't get, they say that's important too, because we see in the end of verse three that there's a responsibility there to look after the widows and make sure that they have food. But these disciples say, we just can't do it anymore. And so instead of doing a whole lot of things poorly, we're going to delegate this job. And so they say to the brothers and sisters who are there, choose seven men from among you. And and they don't say choose seven men who are great waiters. They, They didn't identify them by task. They didn't say choose seven men who are really outstanding at handling food, who have their food handlers license. No, what is the qualification? You see it here in the middle of verse three. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this was a wonderful proposal. We can tell because it says in verse five, it pleased the whole group. Everybody together says, this is a good plan. And then there's a list of those people that they chose. This is in verse five. Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch. Those names, we may not recognize it today, but those are not Hebrew names. Those are Greek names. You want some Hebrew names? Well, you look at the names of the disciples. Peter, James, John, Andrew. These are some of the, these are some of the most Greek people among them, but, but there are the, the people all together, they're like, hey, there's a problem. Well, it doesn't just have to be the Hebraic Jews, we can have some Hellenistic Jews here who are working together too. And so these seven men, these who had Greek backgrounds, they presented these men to the apostles, verse number six. The apostles prayed and laid their hands on them. And what was the result? Verse seven, the word of God spread. Why? Well, because tables needed to be served and they were being served by people who were called to serve them. And the word of God needed to be shared and it was being shared by people who were called to share it. They worked together. The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number even of priests became obedient to the faith. It'd be interesting to know why those priests, Jewish priests, why is it that they started to become obedient to the faith? Is it because they could see good leadership happening? Is it because finally the the Hebraic Jews and and the Hellenistic Jews are both getting all the food that they need, or Or is it because maybe the 12 apostles now finally had time to really preach the word of God and they were able to get through? I don't know. Don't know. That's a question I may have to ask the Lord one day when I can see him, touch him, and hear him. But we know that the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. There is nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong with devoting your life to serving tables if that's what you're called to do. And there is nothing wrong with devoting your life to preaching the word if that's what you're called to do. There's a problem with devoting your life to waiting tables if what you're called to do is preach. And there's a problem with preaching if what you're called to do is wait on tables. And this is one of the things that we are trying to sort out together. A number of weeks ago, Pastor Steve preached about the spiritual gifts he preached on 1 Corinthians 12. And do you remember that passage that says, you know, every part of the body is important? 
the hand says the eye, I'm not an eye, so I'm not important. No, that's everything needs to work together. Kind of the bottom line was there's nothing wrong with being a foot if you're called to be a foot. But there's a big problem with being a foot or trying to be a foot when God is calling you to be a hand or an eye or a stomach. There's nothing wrong with being a ditch digger if that's what God has called you to do. You dig the best ditches that you can dig. But there's a big problem with being a ditch digger if God is calling you to be a doctor or if God's calling you to be a missionary or if God's calling you to be a truck driver. Why are you digging ditches? You're just going to drive yourself mad. It's great to be a missionary or pastor. I love it most of the time. But don't try to be a missionary or pastor if you're called to be a teacher or a doctor or a farmer or a stay-at-home parent. One of the things that we have to continue to do as a church, and I praise God that so many of you are doing this well, one of the things that we have to continue to do is to be honest before God and say, all the jobs are important. Waiting tables and preaching the word. And all the stuff that we do. Being in the nursery and greeting at the door and mowing the yard, playing the guitar, singing the songs, making sure the lights come on in the morning. These are all important jobs, right? But there's a problem if we get out of whack and if we together start to just kind of fill in arbitrarily or haphazardly without, without thinking about God because pretty soon if we ignore God's calling and if we just go to the places of need, we end up like the, like the apostles who were great, wonderful men. The church grew because of what those apostles did preaching the word, but they were lousy waiters. I mean, imagine what would have happened if Acts chapter six read like this. Well, the apostles realized that the Hebraic Jews were, were really mostly just serving the Hebraic widows, and so they really got to work serving tables for the Greek widows. I wonder, I wonder if any of those widows would have gotten any food at all. It doesn't seem that the apostles were very good table waiters. But these Greek guys, they knew how to do it. They were prayed and they were commissioned. The guys who were called to preach went and preached. They were called and commissioned. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. One of the things that we are working at really intently as a church is to try to make sure that every one of us here figures out what we're called to do. Some of you know the joy of serving right in that role that suits you. And you light up and when you do it, people see it they see it in your face, whether it's a job that feels humble or feels like a big deal. If you're doing what you're supposed to do, people can see that you're made for it. And it affects things around here. Praise God. Part of what we're trying to do is help everyone find their way. Because church is not a spectator sport. Being part of a, of a fellowship is not a spectator sport. And that's my final thought for today. We are working hard as pastors, as elders, as a leadership team to make sure that as our church grows, we don't accidentally just become a crowd of people watching a few experts be great experts. As I said, church is a full contact sport. The role, there are a couple of us who get, we have the privilege of being paid to do our jobs here at the church. We work at it hard We've invested ourselves in it with all that we've got. The role of paid leaders in the church is not to do all the church work and impress you with our professionalism or our education or our ability to pull off a good worship service. That's not, first and foremost, our job. The role of paid people is twofold. 
First of all, there are some tasks that are specially ordained. In the Old Testament, there were priests. In the New Testament, Paul talks about pastors and overseers and elders and deacons who do things like weddings and funerals and some of those kind of things. So there are, there are a few tasks that you'd like to have a, an ordained person to do. But really what we're seeing and, and what we're trying to work at and what we're trying to build around here is a place where those of us who are paid to invest all of our time and those who are volunteering at such high levels among our leaders, we see that our job is to dedicate our time to developing the gifts of the congregation and helping the whole church to be the whole church. It's not enough for us to have found our calling to kind of maybe twist John's words a little bit, but I think the meaning still carries. John says, it's not enough for, for, for me to be a disciple of Christ. I want to make my joy complete by helping you to all be disciples. And I guess what I want to say to you is it's not enough for me to be a disciple of Christ and live out my calling. I want to see you do that too. And so one of the things that you're going to be hearing about if you're paying attention over the next month, two months, three months is how are we doing this well? What does this look like? How are we helping all of you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ to find your place in this congregation and in the world where you live? To use your gifts and have those gifts to be developed and, and to have good coaches come around you and say, well, maybe you'd be better off over here or maybe you need to get a little bit more training or experience over here or, wow, you are doing a fantastic job. Keep at it. These are the kind of things that we're trying to work at and trying to think about because here's what, here's what we cannot have. We cannot have our church be marked by this attitude where, where a whole group of people come into these seats and they look up here and say, isn't that band awesome? And then go home and don't think about it anymore. Or come in and say, wow, didn't that preacher just really bring it today? Quite a show. If anybody leaves here and says, quite a show, we're losing. What we're supposed to be is a group of people working together. I use my gifts. These folks up here, they use their gifts. Everybody out there teaching children, they're using their gifts. And at the appropriate time, you all use your gifts so that we, together as a church, form the whole body of Christ. Not, not proudly, and not disdaining our gifts, but just owning and saying, this is who God made me to be. And this is how God made me to serve for now in this place and living into that with all that we are. It's not enough for a couple of us to have found our spot. For all of our joy to be complete, we all need to be in this together. This is who we are trying to be. We are not about creating a show. We are not about creating a room full of spectators. We are not about creating a, a, a room full of an audience who just watch and let's see what happens. No, we do this together. Haven't always done it well. Sometimes we get out of whack. We make mistakes. We're not perfect. Some of the strategies that we've tried and the things that we've worked at have failed. But we keep trying and we keep working at it because we, we are the body of Christ. And we have a commission to keep telling people about the love that Jesus has, the invitation that is there for all people to turn from their sin and know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Church, can we pray together? Will you pray with me? Lord, we know that part of what it means to be the church is that together we are disciples. Lord, help us to be a group of disciples who multiplies. 
Not just so that we can have fuller rooms or or grander places or or louder singing, but Lord, help us to be a group of people who who really finds joy in seeing others have their lives changed by Christ. Lord, help us to keep that perspective in mind. Lord, I thank you for so many people here today and over the years who have helped Media Mennonite Church and Waterway Church to bring that light into the world. I thank you for so many people who were, who were officially called and maybe even paid who did their jobs well. And I thank you for all the multitudes of people who volunteered and stepped up and, and gave their gifts and their passion and their time and their energy and who are still doing it for you. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. But Lord, help us. It, it's more and more difficult, Lord, as we, as we get to be a bigger group and as we're all figuring each other out and seeing how we fit. Lord, help us to do this better now as we step into to these next days, whatever they're going to be. Lord, we can see how much the world needs you. We can see the darkness around us. We can see how much the light is needed. Lord, help us. For those of us who are called to, to, to delivering the word, help us to do it effectively and powerfully and courageously and consistently. Lord, for those of us who are called to wait on tables in, in one way or another, help us to do it with all of our hearts, without grumbling, but with joy and excitement, knowing that we are part of the body of Christ. Lord, we love you and, and we want to be obedient to you. Help us not to fall into the trap of just thinking about ourselves. Just think about what makes me happy and how I want to use my time. Lord, help us to see it all is yours. Help us to remember that we are yours and and help us to serve you and each other well. Lord, help us to be a church of disciples. We love you, Lord. Amen.